Well, good morning, NCC. It's Easter morning, and we have a reason to celebrate, don't we? Amen. I am excited that you're here. I'm excited to get to worship with you this morning, and I know you've probably heard us say it earlier in the service, but if you're our guest, if you're new to church or new to NCC, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. We plan today with you in mind. And in case I haven't personally met you yet, my name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. I've been the lead pastor for about four years, and we're a church that's passionate about making people and places new. And our hope is if you don't have a church home, that you would experience something new, you would experience the love of Christ this morning, and you would want to come back and find out more of what God is doing through our church and in our community and how God wants to make you a part of this story that he's telling and the story that's unfolding. And so I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. And on this Easter morning, we're going to focus in on this theme or this idea of gold from Golgotha. Gold from Golgotha. Now, you may have seen this in the mailbox, okay? You may have seen this online and thought, cool, they're doing a Pirates of the Caribbean theme. That's a little different for Easter. I'll come check out that church. But however you got here this morning, we're glad you're here. And let me explain what Golgotha means. Let me explain what we're talking about. See, Golgotha translated into our language means the place of the skull, the place of the skull. It was a fitting name because it was a hill outside of the city of Jerusalem. And in ancient times, if you were walking through the city of Jerusalem and you looked out on the edge of the city, you would see this hilltop or the side of this mountain. And when you viewed it because of erosion or the way that people traveled, I don't know what it was. It mimicked or it looked like the outline of a human skull. And so it got that name, the place of the skull. It looked like you were looking at it. It's kind of scary, I guess, if you were little, kind of viewing that, but it was on the edge of the city. But it not only got its name because of what it looked like, but because of what happened there. See, in ancient times over the city of Jerusalem, over the nation of Israel, Rome was the dominant power. In Rome, whenever they wanted to execute someone, whenever they wanted to crucify someone, they wanted it to be a public spectacle. They wanted everyone to see this is what happens if you oppose Rome or if you oppose Caesar, this is what will happen to you. And so they chose Golgotha. They chose this hilltop and all the executions were carried out there. And so everyone could see it. Golgotha became synonymous with this place of darkness, with this place of death, with this place that was really a horrible sight to be at. That's what Golgotha meant. That's what Golgotha symbolized. And why are we talking about it almost 2,000 years later? It's because Golgotha is still with us, you guys. Golgotha is still present here in our world. And you and I, we don't have to travel all the way across the world. We don't have to get in a plane to visit this idea of darkness that's present in our world, evil that's present all around us. All you have to do is turn on the television, right? I mean, you turn on the news and you hear it. There's been another mass killing. There's been another shooting. There's been another public execution, something that's happened. You see all of these governments that are flexing their nuclear arsenals, their, their military might to the world around them, shooting off missiles to let us know that death is all around us, that the darkness is present. You don't have to go that far to see Golgotha in our world today, that symbolism of darkness that surrounds us. It's present everywhere. 
You don't even have to go out of your house. I mean, you get online, right? You're on Facebook. You're just looking for a cute kitten video. You're looking for a funny animal video, right? And all of a sudden, you're bombarded with everyone else's opinion. I mean, right there, filling up your post feed, it's everyone telling you how politically you're wrong, how our world is falling apart, all of these things. There is racial tension, racial divide all around us. That's Golgotha, you guys. That's division in our world. People that are torn from the places that they live, war, refugees, all of these things that are going on. Golgotha is still present in our world today. It's the darkness, the death, and decay that surrounds us. But if we're to be honest, when we shut off the TV at night, when the lights go down, when the music stops, we realize that Golgotha is not just an external struggle, it's an internal one. That death and darkness, that sin has creeped into our own lives, that it's not just an issue out there, it's an issue in here. See, you and I, we've stood on this hilltop. You may have not known that you were there, but when you looked at someone, and either with your words or with your actions, with the things that you were demonstrating, you told someone that you love, I don't want you in my life anymore. I hate you. I don't want to be a part of this relationship anymore. That's Golgotha, the brokenness in our relationships. When you and I, when, when you've turned on the television or you've gone online and you've brought something up, you've gone to that site and you've looked at something that you have no business seeing, that's Golgotha. You inviting sin into your life. Every greedy thought, every lustful intent, every slanderous word, everything that, that we do in our sinful life, in our sinful nature, that's us standing on that hilltop. It's death and decay that is present, not just out there, but in here, you guys. What about this one, the indifference and the apathy that we show to people that are broken and hurting all around us and we just pass them by? It's darkness in our world. And sometimes it's in those darkest moments that we hear the voice of God speaking. That's how it was on that hilltop thousands of years ago when the son of God is being crucified and he's there on the cross. It's in those moments on that dark place that he begins to speak out words that are gold pouring forth from heaven over the sin that was present there, over the brokenness of our world. It's gold flowing out as God speaks over his creation. And that's what we want to look at this morning, these statements that Jesus makes from the cross what he says over your life and my life. And we wanna start not just by looking at the cross, but I think it would help us to go back a few hours to start where the crucifixion story starts because it will give us a picture that Jesus was not headed just to Golgotha, this place of darkness, but he had to walk through it. He had to walk through this place. And so it's fitting that the crucifixion story starts in a garden because that's where disobedience and sin first entered the world. You may have seen that opening video, that imagery of, of that person taking the bite of that fruit, entering into disobedience, and each and every one of us, we have joined them in our defiance against God when we've told God, I've got this figured out. I know how to do this on my own. My way is better than your way. And we enter into the disobedience of our ancestors that started in the Garden of Eden. And so on that night, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he's kneeling down in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and he's surrounded by the olive trees. He's surrounded by the vineyards there. And he begins to cry out in anguish. If there is any other way, God, if there's anything that can be done, let this cup of suffering pass from me. I don't want to face this, but not my will, but your will be done. And in that act of surrender, in speaking to his heavenly father saying, God, whatever you have, I'll go through it. He begins to take the darkness of our life upon himself. Yeah, that's right. Every wicked thought that you've ever had, every wrongful deed that I have ever committed in that garden, in the pitch black of the night, Jesus begins to walk through the darkness of our world as he takes our sin upon himself. And then he's led, you may be familiar with the story, he's led in front of these religious leaders, Caiaphas, the religious leader of the time, and they blindfold Jesus and they begin to hit him. They begin to mock him. They begin to rip out parts of his beard. And as he's blindfolded, they say, Jesus, you're the son of God. Go ahead and prophesy us. Tell us who just struck you in the face. Who was it, Jesus? And in that moment, that he's there hurting, going through suffering and anguish, it's because of us. And in case we would mistake this and our self-righteousness, we would think that doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, if I were in the room, there's no way I would do that to Jesus. But how many times have we done this in our life where we've walked up and slapped God in the face and said, no, I, I know better than you do. I'll do this my way, God. I'll focus in on my life and I'll exclude you. It's mocking and betraying what Christ has done. It's Golgotha in our life. And Jesus is not just walking to the cross, but he's walking through it, this pain and this suffering for you and for me. And so he's taken by the Roman soldiers and he's bound to this post as they begin to whip him 39 times with the cat of nine tails. This whip that had nine braids where into each piece of leather there is sewn and there was weaved in beads and pebbles and sharp glass glass and stones that would beat the back of Jesus. And every time that he gets hit 39 times as they peel back layer of flesh from layer of flesh, as he's literally exposed open, it's because of your sin and my sin. It's the darkness that we invited to the world that Jesus is taking upon himself in that moment. And then they take him to the place of the skull outside of the city and they nail these long nails through his wrists, through his ankles, and he's suspended there. The creator of the universe is above the earth he created and below the heavens he created right there hanging, lifted up for everyone to see. And it's in this moment on this hilltop, Golgotha, that he begins to speak out these words that are gold. These words that bring light into the darkest part of our world. These words that are alive to those that were dying there, to the death that was represented there on the cross. Jesus brings gold pouring forth from heaven. And so I want us to look at these statements this morning and see what they mean to us even thousands of years later. The first thing that we find Jesus saying is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. This is the first thing that Jesus says from the cross as he's hanging there. He declares this out. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Imagine that the son of God on the cross there, the creator giving his life for his creation. And as he's hanging there, what's the first thing that he declares? Forgiveness. And imagine what that's like. 
He's looking down at these religious leaders who had turned on him, who were crying out for his death. These are people that knew the word of God. They knew what God's word said. They should have been the first to welcome him, and they're the first to cry out for his death. And they say, crucify him. And he's looking at those religious people saying, forgiveness. I'm offering you forgiveness. There are the Roman soldiers there who have just driven the nails through his wrist, who have just lashed him with the whip 39 times. And what does he say to them? The enemies of God, what does he declare to them? Forgiveness. I'm offering forgiveness to his family and friends, the people that love Jesus, that were surrounding the cross. They're responsible. It's their sin and your sin and my sin that's responsible for putting him there. And what does he say? Forgiveness. See, I believe on the cross, he was even looking into the future. He was looking thousands of years ahead of time into this moment. He knew you were going to be here this Sunday. And what's he speaking out over your life and my life? Forgiveness. See, our sin brought brokenness into the world. Our sin brought brokenness. And Jesus' death brought forgiveness to each and every one of us, to whoever will receive it. Jesus is still crying out this morning, forgiveness to everyone. Imagine the power of that. The creator of the universe offering that over your life and my life. See, his death was not just significant to those that were standing there that day. He was looking all the way into the past, to the very first sin, to the first murder that happened when Cain killed Abel, to the very last sin that will ever be committed on this earth. In this moment, while he's hanging there on the cross, while he's speaking forgiveness, he's looking at the small things that we just sweep under the rug. I mean, come on, it was just a little white lie. Who did it hurt anyway? To the massive genocide and massive murder that has happened all throughout the history of mankind. And what is he speaking over everything? Forgiveness. I'm offering forgiveness. Our sin brought brokenness into the world and Jesus' death brought forgiveness. And when we realize that, you may just be thinking about that this morning for the first time, but our sin brought brokenness. It not only severed our relationship with God, your sin and my sin not only broke the relationships that we have around us, it broke God's perfect world. We broke the physical world that is around us through our act of disobedience. And before we point the fingers at Adam and Eve, you and I, we've contributed our fair share into the sin and the death and decay of our world. We've done our part, you guys. And we've broken the world around us. And what can we do? How do we pay that? How do we make that right? Whenever we realize that what we've done, one writer in the New Testament said these natural disasters, it's like the earth is creaking and groaning and crying out, God, when will you bring redemption? All of the tsunamis and the earthquake, it's the earth crying out that it's broken, the physical world around us, and we have no way to pay that back. Let me give you this illustration. If I come over to your house and you invite me over to dinner and we're sitting there in your dining room and you have this beautiful meal and I say, hey, I'm a little chilly. Can I borrow a sweater? Can I borrow a jacket? Do yourself a favor and just say, no, Pastor Aaron. 
because I'm notorious for spilling stuff. I don't know if any of you guys do this, but a lot of my shirts have mustard stains, drink stains. Like it's hard for me to keep something clean. Okay. So just do yourself a favor and say, I'll just crank up the thermostat for you. Okay. Let me, let me do that instead. But if you're a gracious host and you offer me a jacket or a sweater or something, and I do spill something on it, it's easy, right? I go to the store, I give you some money, right? Like we do this exchange. If I'm your neighbor and I borrow some tools and I break one, I just run to Home Depot. But where do you go to get a new world? What Hallmark card is there that we give God? Like, I'm sorry I destroyed your perfect creation, sympathies. Like, what do we do, church? We've broken the world that God gave us. And sometimes we really think, well, what, I'll just give a little bit more money in the offering and that'll make up for it? We're naive enough to think I can do enough good stuff to somehow balance out the death and the darkness that we've allowed, the evil that we've invited into the world, and somehow that will make it right. No, church, we have no way to pay this debt. There's nothing that we can do to solve this issue on our own. We are being crushed by the debt of our sin, and we don't have our own way out. I was thinking about this the other day when I was walking out to the mailbox and I grabbed my mail and I was going through some things and I saw this medical bill. And I knew what it was. One of our daughters had to go see a specialist last year. And so we've been making payments on this medical bill and I'm walking back into the house and there's still quite a bit left on it, but I think we're just gonna knock this out. And so I get on the phone and I'm gonna call them and I'm gonna pay off the balance. And so I pick up the phone, I call the place, and I say, hey, my name's Aaron, uh, here's my account number, uh, I want to pay off my bill. And what do they say? Can I put you on hold? And I'm thinking, seriously, I'm giving you money, like you should put me in the front of the line, right? No, if you guys feel like this, but no, just jump me to the front here, I'm trying to give you money, but I get put on hold and transferred somewhere else and have to go through the same spiel again, okay, my name's Aaron, here, um, I have this account balance here. And I can hear the lady on the other end typing. And then she said, hey, I don't see anything. Let, let me check something else. Let me put you on hold again. And so I wait there listening to the elevator music. And she comes back on and she says, hey, Mr. Escamilla, I don't know what to tell you, but your balance has been paid in full. You guys, I'm so pumped. I'm doing a little dance in my living room. I don't even know if that is a dance. I'm just making up something. But I'm excited, you guys. Like, I'm celebrating in that moment. It's like someone has handed me free cash, right? I came out ahead in this deal, and I'm so ecstatic, and I started to think, God, how much more joy should we have this morning? Church, how much more should you be excited when the God of the universe looks at your sin and my sin and he says, it's forgiven. I've taken care of it. You don't have a way to pay the balance, but I paid it in your place. I stepped in your place. I'm offering my forgiveness to everyone who will receive it. See, our sin brought brokenness into the world, but Jesus' death brought forgiveness to anyone who will receive that gift that he is offering to us. That's what he provides for us. And in case you're sitting here this morning and you're like, Aaron, I'm kind of getting it. I understand the skull now. I understand the darkness. Like this represents sin and decay. And the words that Jesus spoke, it's like gold covering over that. But you don't know what I've done. Like maybe that works for churchy people. Maybe that works for people that are generally good. But you don't know the sin that I've committed. And let me paint this picture crystal clear for you. Jesus on the cross looking at religious people that have just turned on him, looking at Roman soldiers who just beat him. I don't know what you've done in this room. I don't imagine it's worse than killing the son of God. 
I don't know what you think you've done. I don't imagine it's worse than killing God's son. And it's to those people, he says, forgiveness. Church, I'm telling you, whatever you've done in this room, no matter how bad you think you are, Jesus on the cross, it's like gold pouring out from heaven as he speaks those words, I'm offering forgiveness to anyone who will receive it this morning. That's the words from Golgotha that he begins to pour over our life. And that forgiveness changes everything. It makes a difference inside of us, each and every one of us. And that brings us to the second statement that Jesus makes on the cross because on Golgotha that day, he's not the only one. Jesus isn't there alone. You may have seen that imagery of three crosses because there were two criminals that were being crucified beside Jesus. And while all of this is going on, while the crowd's surrounding them, one of the criminals turns to Jesus and he starts to mock him. Hey, you're the son of God. You got these superhuman powers, right? Like just speak down a firebolt from heaven, knock them out with lasers from your eyes, like get me down off of this cross, take me with you and let's get out of this place. Like he's indignant in this moment. And the other criminal says, hey, stop it. Stop it. Let's not lie to ourselves in these last few moments here on earth. We're getting exactly what we deserve. We deserve to be up here. We know what we've done. But Jesus, this man, he's done nothing wrong. He's committed no sin. He doesn't deserve to be up here. And then he looks at Jesus, this criminal, and he says, I know I've really got no reason to ask this. There's no reason why you should do this, but would you remember me whenever you come into your kingdom? And Jesus speaks this powerful second statement like gold from Golgotha when he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. These powerful words coming from the cross, coming from Jesus as he's there. This man is breathing his last. He's getting ready to die. And he looks at the giver of life and he says, remember me. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you life. See, our sin ushered in death. Our sin literally brought death into the world. And the criminal knows this. He can see this very clearly. I committed a crime. Rome is punishing me. I'm here on this cross. I'm about to die. Sin leads to death. Some of us don't get that clear of a picture. Some of us, it takes years, and then we look back and we're like, wait, I did that? And man, it hurt all of those people around me. And it's not till years later that we see that our sin actually leads to death. But that criminal, he had a very clear picture on the cross that day. I'm about to die because of what I've done. And Lord, I need something. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, I am offering eternal life. I'm offering something that you don't have. I'm giving this to you. See, our sin brought death and Jesus' death brought us life. This was like gold pouring forth from Golgotha. This, what this man was hearing that he wasn't about to end his life, that it wasn't over, but there was actually something after he breathed his last. It was hope and it was a promise for the future for every person that would receive these words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I like to look at, I don't know if this is weird, but some of the top things that we as Americans are afraid of, okay? And I have some phobias on that list there. And the other day, if you follow me on social media, you may have seen this. I was drinking a Snapple and I opened up the cap and it had one of my top fears on it, snakes. And it said this, snakes are able to see you even when their eyelids are closed. 
Hey, thanks, Snapple, for giving me another reason to be deathly afraid. When I'm laying in bed at night, something else to think about, that a snake can see me even when its eyelids are closed. Appreciate that. Okay, that's really nice. But I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of this animal that can bite me and shoot venom into my body. That doesn't seem pleasant. Another thing that we as Americans are afraid of is we're afraid of death. We are literally afraid of dying. We're deathly afraid of this. We don't want to face that idea. We don't want to face that option. We have that fear inside of our life, and it holds many of us captive. And the irony is we're all going to face death. At some point in our life, we're going to face death. Some of you may already have. You have a close loved one that you've lost, and that's hard. And some of you, you may have fought sickness where you were at the point of death in your own physical body, and that can become very distressing in your life. But when you, read, when you realize these words that Jesus speak, it speaks, it begins to change your perspective as you realize this is gold when he said, today you will be with me in paradise. See, up until this point of time, up until this point in history, death had always had a finality about it. It was like the period at the end of a sentence. And in that one statement, Jesus goes and he erases that and he puts a comma and he says, this is not the way the story ends. I am offering eternal life to anyone that would receive it. And so if you're in this room and you're plagued by fear or you're worried about it, you need hope in your life. This is a promise of hope. He said, hey, I'm giving eternal life to anyone who would receive it. He's taking back the death that so many of us fear and that so many of us face. I love how one writer in the New Testament said it. As he's writing about the death and resurrection of Christ, he says, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It's like he's taunting his opponent. What have you got, death? What else can you do to me? Grave, where is your sting? What have you got? Christ has offered me eternal life. I have nothing to be afraid of. Church, that should bring joy to your heart. That should bring hope inside of each and every one of us. That Christ has promised eternal life for all of us. You even look at the way that Jesus was buried. You look at the gospels. You look at other documents outside of the Bible, they will tell you that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was buried in a borrowed tomb. Those do not seem like two words that go together. Because we could be out to lunch, right? And I can say, hey, I've forgotten my wallet. Can I borrow $5? And if your coworker does that too much, you're like, you planned this, didn't you? You keep forgetting your wallet. You know I'm going to pay for you. But maybe you trust them. Hey, you're good for that. And you lend them $5. They'll give it back to you, right? Or maybe you know your neighbor well. And so you pick up the phone. Can I borrow your truck? I need to move a couch. And if they like you enough, they'll let you borrow that. How do you borrow someone's coffin? How do you borrow someone's grave? But Jesus did. Do you know why? Because he wasn't planning on staying there. He said, this is just a temporary stop. He treated that tomb like a hotel room. I'm just here for the weekend, but I'm going somewhere else, you guys. And he gives that hope to each of us that death is not the end in our life. This is not the way the story ends. And you grab hold of that hope. You grab hold of those words from the cross and it changes your perspective that there is life even after death. We have no reason to be afraid, but we have a promise of eternity with Jesus. We have a promise of eternity with those that we love. If we will simply grab hold of this promise, God, our sin may have brought in death, but Lord, your death brought in life for each and every one of us that will receive it. 
Let's look at this one last statement that I want us to focus in on that Jesus spoke on the cross. It's found in John chapter 19, verse 30. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus said these three words, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus has been hanging there on the cross and he's bleeding out and he's dying in anguish. But I want you to get this picture this morning, church. He's not whispering this, okay? This isn't just the last few breaths that he's breathing. He's crying this out. This is not a sign of defeat that he's been defeated. This is a signal of triumph that everything that he came to do, it has been accomplished and he has finished it on the cross for each and every one of us. See, we need to realize this. Our sin brought bondage into the world, but Jesus' death, his death brought freedom for us. Our sin brought bondage, but his death brought freedom. And the cross doesn't just symbolize forgiveness, it symbolizes freedom. And in this place of darkness that you and I can't always see what's going on around us, we've allowed ourselves to be enslaved by our sin. There are chains wrapping around our life. You and I, every time that we tell God, I've got this figured out, I can do this on my own, I don't need your help, we're wrapping more and more chains around our life of bondage in that dark place of Golgotha that you and I live in. And yet Jesus on the cross, when he says it's finished, it's a victory cry. It's a statement. You may have said this, you may have heard someone say this of, hey, I just can't help myself, right? Like we say that when we're in the pantry reaching for the bag of potato chips, when we know we're on a diet or the cookies that we, we eat, oh, just a few more, right? I just can't help myself. And we say that in a joking manner, but when it comes to our sin, it's more serious and true. We're slaves to it, you guys. Left to ourselves, we are slaves to our sin in our life. It's our master. And Jesus on the cross begins to cry out, it's finished. It's finished. I've taken care of it. It's finished. I've taken care of it. I've defeated the sin. I've defeated the addiction in your life. It no longer has to have mastery over you. I've brought freedom into this world, into the place of darkness. I'm offering hope once again, church. That's what he's speaking to you and to me. That's what he speaks over each and every one of us. If we'll receive it, there's freedom. Doesn't matter how bad your addiction is. It doesn't matter how long that thing has had you enslaved. It doesn't matter how long, Aaron, I've struggled year after year. I'm telling you, when you look at the cross, it's like gold pouring forth from heaven. He's speaking out freedom over each and every one of us. It's what he's saying. See, we live in a world of darkness. It's out there and it's in here. It's in our own lives. And on the cross, these words of gold that we see when God speaks out is, it doesn't matter what you've done, I'm offering forgiveness. It doesn't matter what kind of fear you're facing, I am offering eternal life. It doesn't matter what addictions have been present inside of you, I'm speaking freedom over you this morning.